When you buy a new house, you might say, Shut the front door. Winning. No, seriously, shut the front door. We own this house now. But you actually need to say, Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. That's right. The local State Farm agent is there to help you choose the coverage you need. Welcome to my crib. <laughs> no one says that anymore, but I don't care. So just remember, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm, Bloomington, Illinois. When something happens to your car, you might say, No! My car! But what you really need to say is something that can actually help. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. And just like that, State Farm is there to help you file your claim right on the State Farm mobile app. So, just remember, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm, Bloomington, Illinois. Hey everyone, Lainey here. So this next episode is hosted by my good friend Colleen, host of the Misconduct Podcast. Misconduct is a bi-weekly true crime podcast hosted by Colleen, and new episodes are available on Thursdays. You can find out more about Misconduct by going to misconductpodcast.com or looking for them on social media, facebook.com slash misconductpodcast, Instagram at misconductpod, and of course on Twitter at misconductpod. So Colleen, thank you again for hosting this episode for me while I'm out taking care of my little girl. Explicit content is found in this episode, so listener discretion is advised. Welcome back to the True Crime Fan Club podcast. I'm your guest host, Colleen, from Misconduct. Teen dating violence is a growing epidemic. A study published in the Journal of the Academic Medical Association in 2016 revealed that of the 2,000 adolescent homicides between 2003 and 2016, 150 of these were committed by former boyfriends or girlfriends. 90% of these were female with an average age of 17. In almost 80% of the cases, the male perpetrator was 18 years old or older. Today we discuss an instance of breakup violence from 1988 before any real understanding of stalking behaviors or other red flags. Okay, on to the show. Marie Pampilio was a beautiful 18-year-old born in 1970. She graduated from Mother Guerin High School in River Grove, Illinois in 1988, and in that fall, she started college at Northwestern University. Marie was rushing a sorority, the Alta Gamma Deltas, was part of the campus paper, and volunteered to teach math at a local school. She was the only child of parents Anne and Michael Pampilio, and had been adopted by them when she was an infant. Michael and Anne Pampilio met in 1953 at the National Tea Company. Anne Scarzone was a calculator operator and 24 years old when the two met. She was older than Michael and taller than Michael, so at first they were just friends. But as so often happens, a romance blossomed and the pair got married. They wanted three children, but they were unsuccessful at conceiving. Anne was told that her tubes were blocked from an appendectomy that she had when she was 14. Anne wanted a girl because girls are closer to their mothers. When Marie was around four or five, her parents told her that she was adopted, but this never seemed to be a problem for Marie. 
Marie had met Peter Weber in a senior honors physics class when they were both seniors. The class was a joint class between Mother Guerin and its companion boys' school, Holy Cross. Peter was an honor student on the football team and the class valedictorian. He was strong and sandy-haired, an all-American boy. Marie had recently broken up with her long-term boyfriend, Andy, in late 1987, and Marie and Peter started dating in February of 1988. Anne and Michael, although they preferred Andy, liked Peter, who was polite, calm, and protective. Michael and Anne were very devoted parents, and what we might call helicopter parents today. When Marie was interested in swimming, Michael installed a 15-foot above-ground pool in their backyard so she did not have to go to the public pools. When she was a teenager, they bought a 45-inch projection television and set it up in the basement so she could bring her friends over. On June 11, 1988, Peter gave Marie a ring. She was hesitant to accept it and talked to Anne about it first. Anne told her that jewelry was very personal and that she could only accept it as a friendship ring. He gave her the ring ahead of his late June departure to the Air Force Academy in Colorado Springs, Colorado. Peter was there for 13 days before he returned home. He told the Pampilios that he did not like the rigors of the Academy and that he missed Marie. Marie's feelings, on the other hand, had cooled considerably. They continued to cool as she entered her freshman year at Northwestern University. She started rushing for the Alpha Gamma Deltas, making new friends, was taking hard classes, and was basically enjoying her newfound independence. In the days before cell phones, Marie still managed to talk to her mother three times a day. The two started the day with a wake-up call, where Marie would always ask for five more minutes, just like she did at home. And then they always ended the day with a phone call. According to Anne, Peter was only supposed to visit Marie on Tuesday nights, but was constantly showing up. Peter called Anne one time to tell her that Marie was going to a lot of frat parties, and she explained that Marie was rushing for her sorority, and maybe she had to attend the frat parties. Peter asked Anne if she realized what went on at the parties, and went on to explain that there was cocaine and marijuana at these parties. Anne retorted that she trusted Marie to leave if drugs were present. Once while Marie and Peter were with her parents on campus, Peter told Marie that she needed to get him an ID so he could attend all of these parties. She explained that she could not because only Northwestern students could attend. Peter replied he was going to get a fake ID made, and Anne chastised him, saying that Northwestern was not his life, it was Marie's, and she had to socialize to make friends there. One of Marie's friends on campus was concerned because Marie had told her that she felt trapped by Peter. He had written her letters outlining his possessiveness. In one letter, he told her, quote, I'm insanely jealous, and you're mine, period, I don't share. In another letter, he wrote, My only fear is losing you. That's the only thing that can hurt me. Nothing will ever come in between us, and if it does, I feel sorry for it. In early October, he wrote, I don't think I could ever bring myself to stop seeing you. I get protective at times. It's only because I love you. Marie's best friend from high school would frequently see Peter at the University of Illinois campus where he would complain about Marie. He would say, I'm losing her, what can I do? And another time he said, I know where she is tonight. She's at a frat party drinking with other guys. 
I can't believe this is happening. Marie told her mother that she was worried if she broke it off with Peter and anything happened to him, she would never forgive herself. Anne asked if he had threatened suicide, but Marie refused to answer. On October 27th at 6.25 p.m., Marie called her mother. Anne later said that she knew what time it was because Wheel of Fortune was about to start and Marie knew not to interrupt Wheel of Fortune. Marie said that Peter was coming over and she was going to break up with him. Anne did not hear from Marie again that night, but instead she received a phone call from Peter later that night. Peter told Anne that they had a fight and Marie's keys had fallen out of her hand just before he got out of the car, a few blocks from her dorm room. Anne told him point blank, Peter, if anything happened to her, you better order your casket. Peter went to Marie's dorm room around 10 p.m. that night, ostensibly to return her keys, but to actually pick up a few belongings, such as a ring and other items. He told her roommate Marie would be spending the night with someone else. At 12.15 p.m., Anne contacted the Northwestern Department of Public Safety and reported Marie missing. Officers questioned Peter fairly quickly, who said that they had fought because she wanted to date other men, and he said that that meant that their relationship was over. He said she got angry then and wanted out of the car so she could walk out her frustrations. Anne went to Marie's dorm room and was able to tell officers exactly what Marie had on, down to her underwear. On October 28th, Marie's father went to Evanston with two nephews and Peter Weber to search for Marie. Around 5 p.m., residents of the 9,000 block of Forest View Road in Skokie found Marie lying face down beneath a bush near an alley. Marie's clothing had been torn from her body, and she had knife wounds on her throat and hands. The responding officer said it appeared that Marie had been placed at rest under the bush and that it did not appear to be the scene of the crime. Peter went to the police station for questioning, and finally, in the early morning hours of October 29th, he confessed that he lied about letting Marie out of the car. He said when the two were fighting, Marie attacked him, and he accidentally strangled her in self-defense. To cover up the crime, he slashed her throat and removed her clothes to make it look like a sexual assault. While he was being questioned during a break, Peter slashed his wrists with a pocket knife. He was rushed to the hospital, where he was treated and released. Upon his release, Peter was charged with two counts of murder and booked on $150,000 bond. However, at a bond hearing on Monday, October 31st, his bond was increased to $300,000. After one of Marie's cousins ran towards Peter yelling, I'm going to get you. He was taken out of the courtroom in handcuffs by Cook County deputies but allowed back in before the hearing resumed. His family paid $30,000 to post bail, and Peter was released to them. Peter had another hearing on Wednesday, November 2nd, and was attended by a dozen Cook County deputies for extra security. Peter entered a plea of not guilty to charges of murder, armed violence, and concealment of a homicidal death. Peter's attorney told the judge that Peter's family had received death threats since Peter had been released on bond. The judge ordered traps to be put on the phones of the Weber and Pampilio families to find out who was making the calls. 
outside the courtroom and fought back tears while Michael, Marie's father, bitterly stated that at least the Weber family would get to celebrate the holidays with their child, something he and Anne would never be able to do again. Peter's attorney requested a mental health examination for Peter to determine if he was fit to stand trial. Nearly a year after the murder of Marie, Peter's attorneys attempted to have the murder charges dropped due to the wrong manner of death on the indictment. The medical examiner originally listed her death as a stabbing, but upon further examination of the scene and bruising on her throat, he changed the manner of death to strangulation. His attorneys wanted the first-degree murder charge dropped because they said Peter had killed Marie accidentally after she scratched him and started yelling at him. Peter said he held her by the throat to protect himself. During the trial, the Cook County Medical Examiner testified that Marie was not dead when Peter left her body under the bush. The medical examiner was holding her blood-soaked t-shirt and explained if Marie had already been dead. Little or no blood would have flowed from the wound, even if a major blood vessel had been severed. Peter testified that he had not meant to kill Marie, and that after he did, he was scared, so he left her under the bush and left. On July 26, 1990, a Cook County jury found Peter Weber guilty of first-degree murder. The jury deliberated for three hours before returning the guilty sentence. Prior to deliberations, the prosecutor told the jury, He's intelligent, he's good-looking, he's a killer. The jury also found Peter guilty of concealing a homicide. He was taken into custody by Cook County Sheriff's Department. During his sentencing hearing, Peter Weber, tears streaming down his face, begged for mercy. He said, I've tried all my life to do the best I could at everything. I am sorry for what happened. Nothing will bring her back. I live with it every day, and I'm asking you for leniency, for a chance to show everyone that I can lead a good life. He was sentenced to 25 years for the murder charge and five years for the concealment charge. He was eligible for parole within 14 and a half years. Anne Pampilio was disgusted about the sentencing, saying, I personally don't think that's enough. My daughter's life was only worth 30 years. The sentence was like a slap in the face to Marie, but that's all right. There's a God upstairs. He'll get his justice. I believe in God, and God will take care of him. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. Is there something that interferes with your happiness or is preventing you from achieving your goals? Trust me, I have been there and I still struggle with these issues. But BetterHelp Online Counseling is there for you like it's been there for me. You can connect with your professional counselor in a safe and private online environment, which is so convenient for me, and it really makes me feel comfortable. You can now get help on your own time and at your own pace. You can schedule secure video or phone sessions, plus chat and text with your therapist whenever you need to. They have licensed professional counselors who are specialized in LGBTQ plus matters, grief, self-esteem, trauma, relationships, anxiety, you name it. Anything you share with them is confidential. And if you're not happy with your counselor for any reason, you can request a new one at any time at no additional charge. They have over 3,000 U.S. licensed therapists across all 50 states, and they're available worldwide. 
start communicating in under 24 hours. The best thing is it's secure, convenient, professional, affordable, and it's not a crisis line. Best of all, like I said, it's a truly affordable option. True Crime Fan Club podcast listeners get 10% off your first month with discount code TCFC. So why not get started today? Go to betterhelp.com TCFC. Simply fill out a questionnaire to help them assess your needs and get matched with a counselor you'll love. That's betterhelp.com TCFC to get 10% off your first month. Voy a ponerme la vacuna Prevnar 20 porque estoy en riesgo de contraer la neumonía neumocósica, la cual pudiera llevarme al hospital. Así que preguntaré sobre Prevnar 20. 65 años o más, puedes estar en mayor riesgo de contraer la neumonía neumocósica. Pregunta a tu médico o farmacéutico acerca de vacunarte con Prevnar 20, vacuna conjugada antineumocósica 20 valente, una vacuna de Pfizer que puede ayudar a proteger contra la neumonía neumocósica con una sola dosis. Prevnar 20 está aprobada para adultos para ayudar a prevenir infecciones contra 20 cepas de la bacteria que causa la neumonía neumocósica. La aprobación continua puede depender de un estudio de apoyo. No uses Prevnar 20 si has tenido una reacción alérgica grave a la vacuna o a sus componentes. Adultos con sistemas inmunitarios debilitados pueden tener una respuesta reducida a la vacuna. El efecto secundario más reportado fue dolor en el área de la inyección. Para más efectos secundarios comunes e información completa de prescripción, llama al 1-855-213-2138 o visita prevnar20enespañol.com. Pregunta a tu médico o farmacéutico sobre Prevnar 20. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Anne Pampilio wrote a victim's statement that she read during the sentencing hearing. I'll share an excerpt of that now, but just a note, she did not use much punctuation, so I have tried to add it where it made sense. Anne wrote this statement one night as she tried to reflect on the murder of her daughter and how it had changed their lives. I am here to speak on behalf of my daughter, Marie. While Marie was at Northwestern, she volunteered teaching math at the Orrington School in Evanston because she loved to help kids. She had also signed up for the Northwestern School paper to be a photographer, besides rushing her sororities, which took up a lot of her time. She made good grades on her first midterms at Northwestern. She called me one day and told me she was going to take political science and public speaking the next term, and I asked her why. She said that she may go into law, but she didn't want to defend anyone who was guilty, so I told her to only take cases where you think they're innocent, or go into corporate law or be a prosecutor. And she answered, if I don't like law, public speaking will be good in case I change my mind and go into marketing and advertising. I'm not sure yet, Mom. So I told her, Marie, I have faith in you and whatever you decide. You'll be fine, and it will be fine with your father and I because you do well in anything you do, and you haven't disappointed us this far. She made valedictorian in grade school. She graduated ninth in her class of 348 in high school. And besides being a high school honor student, she was officer of the Italian club. 
She was active in high school selling flowers and being head of the usherettes and cashiers for school plays. And she was on the student council, where she made national state scholar and was in the top 5% nationwide and top 2% in the state of Illinois. And she made Northwestern University. She made us very proud. She loved Northwestern and her sorority, Alpha Gamma Delta. Marie wanted to stay at campus, even though we only lived a half-hour drive, because on campus, she can be more involved in school activities and meet people from different parts of the United States and the world. I heard it mentioned how good Peter was to Marie, and I want it known that Marie was also good to Peter. I taught Marie to share expenses because it is hard for boys to pay for all expenses in today's time. She baked chocolate chip cookies and brownies for him, rented movies so they could stay home, had dinner at our house twice a week, and she allowed him to make collect calls to our home while he was in the Air Force Academy. I don't want anyone to think Marie was a taker. She was more of a giver. Peter brought on the breakup himself due to his persistence in constantly going to Northwestern, which his only day was Tuesday night. But he wanted campus life, and he could only get that through Marie. I'm sure she had feelings for Peter at one time. She told me she wasn't getting married until after college and grad school, which would make her 26 by the time she got married. How many more loves would she have had until then, as everyone else here has had until they settled down and got married? She was such a happy girl and so full of life and caring for her fellow man. She loved people and she loved the world. One day she had a tape of Louis Armstrong singing What a Wonderful World from the movie Good Morning Vietnam, and she kept playing it. And I said, Marie, isn't that Louis Armstrong singing? And she said, yes. And I said, I'm surprised you'd listen to him. He was even before my time. She said, stay here, mom, and listen to the words. And I did. They were beautiful words. And if anyone has heard the song before, you know, it is a wonderful world but unfortunately, Marie isn't here anymore to enjoy it. These past 23 months without Marie have been unbearable for me. I can't even drive because I can't concentrate, and I don't want to hurt anybody for fear of an accident, so I don't drive. I've had terrible headaches. I had a serious operation. I feel all of the stress of losing Marie has deteriorated my own health. The doctor told me that stress breaks down your immune system. Sometimes I wonder how my husband puts up with me as I haven't been a wife to him and now I am recuperating from my operation and he does all the household chores. I can only cook and dust. He lost Marie also and now he has the added burden of me. I was crying all the time and I am now taking Valium three times a day. I take antidepressant pills and was told to see a psychiatrist to help me through this. I feel like my life is gone. It's hard to pick up the pieces at this late age, but for my husband's sake, I've got to try, but it is so hard. My husband has always gone to bed early because he gets up at 4.30 in the morning for work. Marie was my company all these 18 years. I'd play bingo twice a week during the day, and then we'd shop and play games and watch movies. She'd give me a manicure, help me dye my hair, tweeze my eyebrows, helped me bake for the holidays, and set the table when company came while I cooked dinner. She helped clean up, and when she went out, I'd be in the rec room downstairs waiting for her to come home. She would knock on the window for me to open the door, and then we'd talk and go upstairs to bed. I still can't believe she's gone. 
Every morning I wake up and hope that it was just a bad dream, but when I do awaken, I know it's true and I cry and cry. I know it's true, but I don't want to believe it. I pretend she's at work now, and then it hits me at supper time. I pretend she went out, then the night comes and she doesn't come home, and that's the worst part of the day. I think and I cry, and I think and I cry. Then around 1am or 2am, if I'm lucky, I'll get 5 hours of sleep. Even with the Valium, I can't sleep, because I rehash and rehash, why did he kill her? She didn't deserve it. Why didn't God put out his hand to stop him? Why did he leave her all night in the rain, lying in the alley all alone? I don't think he knows the meaning of the word love. Now that he'll be sentenced, he can still breathe. He still eats. He still has his holidays. He can still see his parents and relatives. Marie can't. She's at the mausoleum. When I go there every day, I say my prayers, and then I pound my fist on the marble. Marie, 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 Dolly, it's Mommy, I love you. Answer me, please. Tell me five more minutes, Mom, just like you used to. But I don't hear it, and she doesn't answer me. He took Marie's life because of his greed and jealousy. He will have to answer to God someday, and then maybe true justice will be done, and he will burn in hell for eternity while Marie is in heaven with God. Maybe then and only then he will realize what he did, because as of now, he's going to live. As long as Peter is alive, that is all Peter is concerned about. He accomplished what he set out to do. No campus life for him, no campus life for Marie. He has a future, Marie doesn't. And if I sound bitter, I have a right to be. I hope he rots in hell because he took away the one person I loved with all of my heart, and I will never hear, I love you too, mom, ever again. My Marie only lives in my heart. I cannot see her again until I die, so until that day comes, she lives in my heart and in my memories. I end each day with, good night, Marie. I love you wherever you are and mommy will love you always. You will always be special to me and daddy. After Marie's murder, Anne withdrew from her friends. She once played cards with her friends, but they told Anne it was depressing to visit with her. Mike said, people find it hard to deal with us because they don't want to face reality. The only person Anne was interested in speaking with after Marie's murder was Marie's birth mother. Anne found her through a local Catholic charity. Marie's mother was married with two other children who did not know about Marie. Her biological mother returned home from work one day to find a letter from Catholic Charities asking her to call them. She understood immediately, so when she called, she asked, Is she dead? Anne sent a letter to Marie's birth mother, asking her to come visit. She did, and Anne showed her pictures of Marie through her 18 years, watched videotapes, and wept. Anne planned to leave Marie's birth mother pictures and jewelry when she and Mike passed away. Before Peter Weber's trial, Anne was diagnosed with endometrial cancer at the age of 61. The operation was a success. In 1993, Anne and Michael successfully sued Peter Weber in an $8 million judgment. The suit was filed to prevent Peter from profiting by selling his story. Almost every day after Marie Pampilio was murdered, her mother visited the mausoleum. Before she left, she would pound her fist on the marble inscribed with Marie's name and beg Marie to answer her. 
on October 28, 1997, Anne made the trip to Marie's mausoleum for the last time. She was too weak to walk to the marble bench, so Michael parked the car on a rise so she could look down at Marie's final resting place. Her last trip to visit Marie was nine years and one day after Marie was murdered. Anne died at home on Saturday, November 1st, 1997, in Marie's bed. Many of her former friends believed that she died of a broken heart. There is no definitive news on Peter Weber's whereabouts since his presumed release. Dating violence is a growing phenomenon with disastrous results. Some of these include depression, anxiety, aggression, alcoholism or drug use, eating disorders, suicidal ideation, and sexually transmitted diseases. Many teens do not come forward about teen dating violence for the same reason domestic abuse victims do not embarrassment and shame, as well as a fear of how their parents will react. When teens begin dating, it is a good idea to establish a safe line of communication so they can go to their parents or other adults if things go wrong. Okay, fan club members, as I conclude this episode, my one question to you is, how will you sleep tonight? Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a positive review and rating on Apple Podcasts or your podcast player of choice. It really does help. You can find us on most social media channels, Twitter at TCFCPod, Facebook.com slash TCFCPodcast, Instagram at TrueCrimeFanClubPod, and of course our website is TrueCrimeFanClub.com. If you have an episode suggestion, send us an email at tcfcpod at gmail.com. This episode was written and researched by Susie St. John. Content editing by Brittany Martinez. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.